So I want to talk to you tonight just for a few minutes about spirit writing. Spirit writing. Um, some people will be aware in, it comes in various names of something called um, either uh, um, spirit writing or there's another, there's another word for it that, that people use. That Basically what they mean is um, uh, people who've lost someone often sit down and they began to yield themselves and begin to write. And, and what they claim that they write is like letters from the departed, um, departed loved ones. Um, I, I don't know what I think about that. I, I know what I think about the human heart and stuff, but that's not, that's, not my, that's not my issue tonight. My issue is that actually the Bible talks about spirit writing, and uh, I want to talk to you about that tonight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a very interesting chapter, which I'm not going to analyze uh, verse by verse, but uh, I'll summarize it for you, and uh, I'll take the core elements... Uh, which you can read for yourself if, if you want, and draw some conclusions which, uh, in my own personal view, express the sentiment that Paul, who wrote this letter, is trying to convey. So I want to start at the end and, 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 and work backwards to the, the front of the, of the chapter. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18, it says, "...and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom." And we who, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So therefore, from what we've just read, these would be my conclusions, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, where it operates, where he is allowed to dictate, there is freedom, transformation, and ever-increasing glory. Okay, that's really what he's saying. Where the Spirit is, where he operates, where he is allowed to dictate, there is freedom, transformation, and ever-increasing glory. Okay? Uh, now, of course, I didn't mention there the start of the verse. I started the verse um, at, uh, half a dozen words in. Because it says at the beginning, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, transformation, and ever-increasing glory. Now when it says now the Lord is the Spirit, it's not talking about God per se as the sovereign ruler over all things who we might know as the Father. It's actually talking about Jesus. It's talking about the Christ. So the issue is that where the Spirit of the Christ is, where the Christ Spirit where the spirit of the Jesus of the Bible manifests itself, is accepted, uh, and, and, and is allowed to, to have some authority, there is freedom, transformation, and ever-increasing glory. So, so our contribution, my contribution to the world should be freedom, right? Transformation, and an ever-increasing glory. So... I'm then going to jump to verse 3 to say this. You show that you are a letter from Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm taking this verse, but I'm kind of chopping it a little bit because we haven't got the time, and I don't know if I've got the patience to go through systematically the whole thing. But here's what he's saying, because it's quite the, the, the words are quite complex, so I'm trying to make it simple for you. You show that you are a letter from Christ. Okay? This, this is his You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, 
written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. I loved it, these guys. I mean, we don't talk about this, but these guys just stood up and sang to you, rewrite my story. That's really what this is about. So at the core of Paul's declaration here rests the truth that your life is not merely a post-it note on the refrigerator of human history. Your life is a letter of importance, an expression of the dealings of God with you and your reaction to those dealings. In fact, here's a statement that gets me into a lot of trouble. You are the Bible being written to your generation. How can it mean anything else if it says that you are living letters, okay? The, the old word was living epistles, and they call, they call the letters after the Gospels the epistles. So if you are living epistles, you have been elevated to equal status with the epistles or the letters that have already been written. Now, that does not disregard or devalue the written portions of Scripture, which are the Gospels and all the epistles, the letters after that. But it says there is something bigger than just what was written back then, because in the same way that Beth talked about, our life can all be focused on focusing for what is to come. Our life can also be driven by what has been. When God comes into the present, you are brought to a place where God says, I am going to write in your heart the Word of God, so that you will be a living letter, Paul says, seen and read by all men. So at the core of all this, your life is a letter of importance, an expression of the dealings of God with you and your reaction to those dealings. You are the Bible being written to your generation. You are being read whether you like it or not. So what's the letter that is your life? What, what is it saying and to whom is it saying it? Because it is. Are you happy with what's being read? Uh, one thing I learned that was interesting from John Calvin was, was a significant figure during the, the Reformation in the 1500s where, where what we know as the Protestant understanding of the gospel emerged out of a strong Catholic base and tried to reinstate the truth of salvation by faith alone and John Calvin was part of that. One thing John Calvin introduced that had not been written before John Calvin's time was the importance of minutes and I find that quite staggering. People used to talk about life and talk about years but Calvin focused on every minute is important. And what Calvin was really driving at is that each minute, something has been written on us and we are the expression of that. Therefore, we have to take seriously in our life, am I happy with what is being read in me? So Paul challenges our understanding by comparing the history of God engraving the Ten Commandments on stone for Moses with God writing by his Spirit on our hearts. So if you question the importance of this, that's Paul's contrast. He actually contrasts the importance of this with the writing of the Ten Commandments in stone. That's pretty important, isn't it? Pretty significant. And so in his comparing of those two things, Paul makes some very significant points. 
He declares that what was written and engraved in stone, that was the Ten Commandments, ministered death, that's in verse 7, condemnation, that's in verse 9, and was passing away, that's in verse 11. So his conclusion, his summary of what was written in stone in the Ten Commandments was, again I repeat it, that it ministered death in verse 7, condemnation in verse 9, and was passing away in verse 11. Yet he makes this crazy statement, he says, yet it was glorious. Now, now glory is not some airy-fairy, floaty, amazing thing out there, which I'm always fascinated how the church takes words and turns the words into something that the word never was meant to be. So to me, you know, glory was... When actually glory is a very down-to-earth word. The word glory means weight or significance or importance or meaning. So when the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord came, it means there was a sense of the weight, the significance, the importance, the meaning of who God is. So when glory descends upon me, it's a weight, significance, meaning, an importance that is coming to light. So, so he says this, this was glorious, the weight, the significance, importance, meaning. And, and why was that that brought condemnation and death and was passing away glorious? Because it did what it was supposed to do. So it was glorious. Anything that does what it's supposed to do is glorious. It's just that what some things are supposed to do is not what you thought they were supposed to do. And so what was written in stone was supposed to bring death, condemnation, and then pass away. Okay? That's what it was supposed to do, to show the contrast between carrying around the weight of stones of condemnation and the freedom that comes through the Spirit writing upon our hearts. That's the contrast. So we're either carrying around the weight of stones that bring condemnation, or we're carrying around the freedom through the Spirit that's writing on our hearts. So how do you tell whether you're with the stone engraver God or with the heart writer God? Because in here tonight, there'll be those of you with the stone engraver God, and others are with the heart writer God. How do you know which one you're with? Well, condemnation is always the result of that which is written in stone. And it always ministers death. Isn't it fascinating that we associate death with grave stones? That our closest understanding of when, when something is engraved in stone is in a graveyard. Is that right? That's our nearest understanding. If I were to ask a hundred people, where are you likely to find stone that's got things engraved in it? You would probably tell me, in a graveyard, in a cemetery. Why? Because there is a connection between that which is in stone, engraved in stone, and that which is dead in the graveyard. So we have to understand Paul's showing here that condemnation is always the result of that. Condemnation is always the result of that which is written in stone. It will either show itself in self-condemnation or condemnation of others or both. Okay? So how, how are you going to know whether you are hooked into the stone engraver God or the heart writer God because of the level of condemnation that sits in your heart? Either self-condemnation, if you're under self-condemnation tonight, you are connected 
to the stone engraver God, right? Or if you sit with condemnation of others, no matter how you mask it, how you try and make it right and holy and okay, if you've got condemnation towards others, any others, anybody, then you're with the stone engraver God, not with the heart writer God, okay? And for those of you who may be doing both, then I pray the Lord will help you tonight. Under self-condemnation and condemning others, if that's where you get your kicks, then you're with the stone engraver God. Now, I have to say that, 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 that um, condemnation, when we come to condemnation in our hearts, condemning people and condemning others or condemning ourselves, it, it may be right in part. The reason for that condemnation may be absolutely right. But it always brings only death. Because even if you're right and it's based in condemnation, it will only ever bring death. So the truth is you can be right and death be in your life. Because being right only ever really produces death because it's based on condemnation. So we confuse being right with being righteous. Being right and being righteous are not the same thing. To be righteous means to be in right standing with someone. To be right simply means that you have accurately assessed and pointed out the problem. Okay? But that does not make you righteous. Being right and being righteous are two different things. And I'm going to illustrate that for you in a moment. Condemnation is always the result of a judgment. That's why Jesus says, Matthew 7 verse 1 and 2, do not judge. Don't do it. Because with the measure that you judge, you also will be judged. And to the degree that you express that judgment is the degree that judgment will be expressed back upon you. The reason Jesus says don't judge is because we rarely have all the information to hand and we then miss more important truths like love your enemies. Forgive. Pray for those who misuse you. And the problem is when we're caught up with being right and when we're caught up with judging, we miss those more important truths that Jesus talked about. How many of you know Jesus didn't spend a lot of time judging people? Even though he had the right to do so because he said, my father has given me the right to judge. But how much time do you see Jesus recorded in the Gospels judging people? But what do you hear him say? Love your enemies. Pray for those who misuse you. Forgive. How many times? 70 times 7. Forgive when they say sorry. Forgive when they don't say sorry. And so we have a Jesus who is preaching love and kindness and acceptance and freedom. Who is contradicting the word of the religious crowd, the Pharisees, or into things like, if you're sick, you must have sinned. If you're poor, God doesn't love you. And so Jesus turns all that on its head. But you see, we may not use those same measures, but we develop measurement systems to determine who we think is accepted by God and who we think is not accepted by God. So Jesus cleared the slate and said, For God so loved the world that he gave, not he judged, not he condemned, because the heart, Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world, but to seek and to save. So, condemnation is part 
of the stone engraver, God, but the stone engraver, God, engraved those commandments in stone for a purpose to show us the contrast between the death that comes through the condemnation that can only happen when we set anything in stone with the life that can come when a living God writes something fresh upon the heart of humanity. Okay, do you understand? Is that making sense? Okay. Therefore, accusation and condemnation must first be removed before resolution can be brought. Now, there is a difference between resolution and restitution. When you begin to follow the stone engraving God, you are looking for restitution because restitution says you didn't comply with what was set in stone, therefore there must be a penalty because you did not comply. You must be under condemnation. You must therefore come to death. And so like Chris said about the Viking gods, Odin and Thor and all those gods, we must keep the gods happy. The gods are displeased, we must keep the gods happy. I release you wherever you've been, whatever church you've been in, without any criticism to that stream. If you have been fed that kind of news about God, it's the stone engraver God, and the only place you'll finish up is in a place of death, condemnation, and accusation. But God wants to set you free from that, and I want you to be free. So accusation, condemnation must first be removed before resolution, not restitution, can be brought. Now, quick little story. John chapter 8. The people who believed they were right found a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Adultery was an offence under Jewish law punishable by death. The truth is the law that stated that that adulteress must be punished by death was part of the law that was engraved in stone, right? It's funny how when we have law engraved in stone and when we get any of our systems engraved in stone, which we love to do, we want it engraved in stone, we want it buttoned down. It's funny how somehow we're always in a position where somebody's going to have to die, somebody's going to have to be punished. And so it was God who gave that. Here's the contrast. Jesus is going to give you the contrast. They said, in the law of Moses, such a woman should be stoned. Guess what? They were right. They were absolutely 100% right. But they were not righteous. Shall I tell you how I know they were not righteous? Because Jesus' response was not, you're absolutely right, guys. And in order to honor God, we must uphold what was engraved in stone. And this woman must die. Jesus was very clever. First of all, he did something that we all do well to remember. He began to write in the sand. I don't know whether he was just taking their attention away from the woman, whether he just felt like drawing or writing. or I, He's writing. We don't know what it was that he did, and that's not really that important. What's important is what he said next. He said, let he who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. Now, the problem is, because we don't have public stonings anymore, um, the last stoning I saw was on Monty Python's Life of Brian. Since then, I haven't seen a stoning. Um, because we don't have stonings, we, we don't associate and understand that now 
The stones that we are tempted to cast to kill someone are not, are not made from granite or sandstone or limestone. We don't pick them up off the beach. They're not literal stones, but, but you need to understand that, that we all can be guilty of wanting to stone people with our words, with our rejection. I'll have nothing to do with that person. With, with bringing down their name, with, with destroying their reputation. With, with accusing them. And those are the stones now that we cast. Every time we do one of those, we cast a stone. Do you know the declaration we make every time we do that? I am without sin. That's the declaration. Every time we cast a stone at another, we are declaring, I am without sin. So we're right, but we're not righteous. Because some of you know, we're often right with the stones we want to cast at people. We were let down. We were failed. They did not meet our expectation. They have disappointed us. They have hurt us. And you'd be absolutely right to cast a stone, but you would not be righteous. And where it takes us is to the stone engraving God, which he said only ever brings death and condemnation. And so Jesus steps into that situation, says, let him who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And uh, it says one by one, they uh, all kind of slipped away. And rightly so. Rightly so. And I hope that if you're a stone caster tonight, that, that in your heart you're slipping away right now. You just, mm, I'll just kind of... But then what Jesus did next was amazing because he turned to the woman who was, who was guilty of sin... She absolutely was. She, she, remember, she was caught in the act. There's no, there's no debate about whether this woman really had broken the law, whether this woman really was under the law, guilty, whether she should have been stoned under the law. There's no debate about that. But what Jesus did next was amazing because when the crowd had left, Jesus asked her a question. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Meaning, I am not accusing you. Why? Because something different was written in the heart of Jesus and she was about to read another gospel. She was about to read another message. One that had not yet been written down because the Bible, as we understand it in the New Testament, was not written. This was not a verse. Jesus couldn't say, you need to read John chapter 8 in order to see what I'm about to say. There was no scripture to support this. There was only the Old Testament. So what was happening, the Bible was being written right then in the heart of Jesus. He was the Bible to that woman. And when he spoke those words, the power of the word of God, which is eternal, flowed through his words and touched that woman's life and revolutionized her life because he brought freedom and restoration to the woman. Where are your accusers? Does no man condemn you? She says, no man, Lord. And so Jesus said then, here's my advice, go and don't do it again. A good, good advice, because you can get into trouble with people, you can get into trouble with the law. But it wasn't, don't do it again because you make the gods angry. Jesus said, don't do it again for your benefit, 
not for my benefit. I don't need you not to do this so you'll make me love you or you'll make me not accuse you or you'll make me not condemn you. I want you not to do this so you'll make them not accuse you and them not condemn you and you'll be okay in life. But I don't need you to do that to dictate my kindness to you. You see, something was being written that was not that that was engraved in stone and was immovable and unchangeable. How many of you know when you set something in stone, it's fixed forever? But when something's written in the human heart, it becomes, it flows not, not through history, through archaeology, but it flows through the emotion of life. It flows through the fluidity of life. It becomes relationship, not ritual. And so Jesus is now the Bible being written when the Bible wasn't written. So what was written was written afterwards about what was already done. So it had already been written on the heart and released into the life. And I want you to know that heaven records still what is written in our hearts when we release that into humanity. Because Jesus can't stand with the woman accused right now. He can't stand with the victim. He can't stand with the poor. He can't stand with the starving. But you can. And when you do it, it's as if Jesus stood before them like he did with that woman. You now become the, the woman or the man that stands before the one who rightly has been accused and who is rightly being condemned, but now by the writing on your heart can be delivered and set free because we were promised right at the beginning that if we do this, if we grab this, there is freedom, transformation and ever-increasing glory that flows from our life into people. So, let me find where I am now. I've, I've missed my... Okay. So, according to Paul then, there is a ministry. He talks about the ministry of condemnation. Now, I find this fascinating. Because I was raised around church, I was raised around these kind of phrases. You know, doing ministry, being in the ministry... <laughs> Which really meant you're doing the work of God, ministry. That was ministry. People come into the ministry. Paul is very interesting because he talks about the ministry of condemnation. So actually you can minister, just like I'm ministering tonight, you can minister in the same way condemnation from your life. You can minister it. You can become a minister of condemnation. Of course, the issue is when we use terms like minister and ministry, we have to immediately conclude that our conclusion is that we are doing this for God and in the name of God. So Paul's saying the problem is lots of you are running around with a ministry, but it's not the ministry of the Spirit writing on your heart. It's the ministry that's come from what was engraved in stone. And so you are ministering, but what you're ministering is condemnation and you're ministering death. So there is a ministry which thrives on condemnation. It thrives on it. People getting a kick out of it, of pointing out the sin of others. We, we had a, an email a few weeks ago which evidently was somebody who thrives on the ministry of condemnation because every word was condemnation. Every word was threat and intimidation and accusation. But the person doing it in the name of God, thriving because it was a ministry. So Paul's saying that, that, that uh, there is a ministry which thrives in condemnation. But the one he describes as being more glorious, 
right? He says, but what's more glorious is the one that brings righteousness and therefore ministers righteousness. So he says, when you understand this, what comes to your heart is not condemnation, it's a revelation of righteousness. It's a revelation of a righteousness that God has given to you as a free gift that he sealed in the blood of his son, but said, this is just to show you that you don't have to be right to be righteous. In fact, you can be totally not right and still be righteous. And I'd like you to be right and I'd like you to live right, but that's not what your righteousness is based on. Your righteousness is based on a gift from Almighty God. That the revelation of righteousness is where God starts our journey, not where our journey takes us. God starts us there. And so when we have written in our hearts the understanding that we are the Bible, we are living epistles, we minister righteousness to people, not unrighteousness. We minister freedom, not condemnation. And in that freedom and that righteousness, then the journey begins to know the God who is love and the God who is kind and the God who is generous, the God who does not ask for sacrifices so we can appease his anger, but the God who says, I don't have any anger. I just got love with you and I want to walk a journey so that you become, like we said at the beginning, uh, one of freedom, transformation, and ever-increasing glory is what God wants to bestow upon your life. So, whose life is being written by the Lord's Spirit and whose life is being written by their own spirit? Because the writing's going on. It's going on in here now. Even your response to what I am saying, there is a writing going on in your heart. The question is, is the writing on your heart being done by the Spirit of Christ, the Lord's Spirit, the Jesus Spirit, or is it being written by your own spirit? Chris and I are looking at so many things at the moment. She's a avid reader and student of what's happening in the cultural shifts and what's happening within the message of the gospel, the good news that going around the world. And, and one of those things that is, is highlighted so much is that how much we've taken history and taken scripture and then we begin to write what we want to say by our own spirit. Um, may I say, if, if what is being written in your life as, a, as an expression of what we would call Christianity or the life of God is not disturbing to you, um, if it's not confrontational, if it doesn't conflict anything, I would suggest to you, you're probably writing your own letter. Now, if you say, what evidence do I have of that? Just go home and read the four Gospels. And read how the current conclusions of the religious community, the, the church of its day, how theirs and Jesus' ideals came into conflict, how they were challenged, how they were disturbed, how they were upset. Why? Because all of their understanding was coming from the root of what was engraved in stone. It was all engraved in right. What's right? And we know what's right, and we're going to enforce what's right. But Jesus all the time is saying, that doesn't make you righteous. I want you to come from that, because I'm going to write something different in your heart. If you're willing, if you dare to, if you'll come away from the security of the things of your past that you've put your trust in, I'll write something glorious in your heart. 
that will bring freedom and it will be an ever-increasing glory. In other words, it's not got limits on it. It's not destinational, it's directional. It's an ever-increasing glory. If it becomes a destination you reach, it can't be an ever-increasing glory because there would be a point at which it ceases to increase. But if it's an ever-increasing glory, it means this is leading you somewhere that the destination is is less important than the direction in which you're going. And I want you to find that ever-increasing glory of this challenge that comes when we allow him to write on our hearts, which he wants to do, incidentally. God has chosen your heart to write a living epistle, a living letter. God has chosen your heart and your body to be the pages of a Bible that he wants to reveal to people today. So, who's writing? Who's, who's being written by the Lord's Spirit and who's by their own? How can you tell? Well, if you have a stony heart, and I've met plenty of those, and I've probably had one myself at times in life. If you have a stony heart... And here's the big key. If everything ultimately leads to an expression of condemnation, and listen, we can be right in our expression of the gospel and Jesus dying, but it ultimately leading to an expression of condemnation. There's a problem. If you live in a state of what I call veiled consciousness, what I mean by that is you're alive, but you have a veil over your head. You either are unwilling or unable to see through the veil to actually see things as they really are. You, you, you live in a, in a state of, of, of heightened illusion. A place of fantasy where there is a selection process goes on about who's good and who's bad and who's nice and who's not nice. Some of the biggest nonsense I've ever heard is the the phrase, oh, she's a lovely woman, he's a lovely guy. Maybe. But very often we make those statements with a veiled understanding. We do not see the reality when the truth is that's what Paul's driving at in the book of Romans when he said, look, here's the deal, guys. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. In other words, lovely guy, lovely woman is very subjective, right? And it's not the point. The point is not about right, it's about righteousness. When we receive the righteousness and something's written in our heart, even in our weakness, Paul says, we are strong. Even in our failures, we are successful. We're always falling forward even when we fall. So it becomes a different dimension to life. So, if you live in a state of veiled consciousness where you don't allow yourself to be affected by the full stage of truth. That's another illustration about who's writing on your heart. Your heart is not revealing the writing of the Spirit if you're there, but it's the Spirit of your own distorted truth. And we can all be there. Don't want to be written on by the Spirit of our own distorted truth. He says in verse 14, because only in Christ is this veil taken away. In other words, you have to come back to the Christ himself 
for that veil to be taken away. Okay, It's not about nice people. It's about an amazing God and amazing grace. And verse 16 says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, so that veil, state of veil consciousness only changes when we actually turn from our current focus, our current attention, which is on things that are written in stone and being right, which is in accusation and condemnation to prove how right we are. It's only when we turn to the Lord and actually look at Jesus and realize who he is and what he has done and what he has said that he said, then the veil is taken away when you see him for who he really is. So when we turn towards the Lord, his writing on our hearts causes us to free people, remove accusation, remove condemnation, forgive and forget, okay? So if you're saying, which am I? Well, who's writing on my heart? Is it my spirit or is God's spirit? Here's the key. When we turn towards the Lord, he's writing on our hearts, causes us to free people, okay? Let them go freedom to remove accusation, to remove condemnation, to forgive and to forget. If those things are not showing up in my life, then I have to confess that I am not allowing him to write me as a living epistle. I have gone back to that which is engraved in stone, and I'm staying in that which is not life, and I'm simply writing upon myself what I want to convey. But God wants to change that, and it's a good place to be. So what does your life say? What do people read in you? And out of that, will you be the Bible to this generation? For where that spirit is, where that spirit operates, where that spirit is allowed to dictate, there is freedom, transformation, and ever-increasing glory. Bow your heads with me for one moment. Father, write on our hearts. Jesus, write on our hearts. Jesus, get our hearts in a place where you can write on our hearts. Tormentors, challengers, aggravators, benders, breakers if you have to, troublers, disturbers, upsetters, do whatever you have to do to get us away from that engraving that's in stone that always leads us to accusation and condemnation and death. We want our hearts to be changed. Today, Lord, we want to turn to you. Turn to you, the forgiver, the gracious one, the kind one, the one about whom it says keeps no record of wrongs, the one who says you can love your enemies, you can forgive those who have misused you. To you, Lord, we believe that you have enabled us to have that written in our own hearts so we can be that, we can be that very expression and that just as you revolutionized that moment in that woman's life 2,000 years ago in that dusty street, that we are the ones to, to revolutionize the lives of men and women and boys and girls of every color, creed and race in our world right now in the same way that the same power of the word of God revealed incarnate in flesh in a person's life in that situation will bring the same deliverance, the same dynamic and set people free in Jesus name and so we're not asking you Lord that our name would become great in the eyes of humanity just that we each one of us can be a page if we can just be a page in this amazing story of freedom 
in this amazing story of transformation and this amazing story of ever-increasing glory. Touch our hearts in this place tonight. Father, let those who need to repent, repent. Let those who need to accept, accept. Let those who need to confess, confess. But in this place, may none of us leave here tonight, Father, without having sealed the deal that no more will we be bound to that which is engraved in stone, but our hearts will be given to you to write upon those hearts the wonderful message that you've brought to our generation that God is love, that he is light and in him is no darkness at all, that when we've seen you, we've seen the Father of all things, that you have adopted us as your sons and that your grace is truly and totally amazing. Help us not to dim the blinding brightness of its glory because we think that it's too good to be true. We receive it tonight, Father, and I release it over every heart and every life in Jesus' name tonight. And I thank you for all the pages of Bible that are in here today that are about to be loosed on the world tomorrow, not just on Saturday night, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And again next week, Father, every day you writing your word into people's lives. We give ourselves as that people tonight. In Jesus' name. You may say, I've never sat in church. I've never heard preaching like this. I I don't know where I stand with God. Let me tell you where you stand with God. God said because of Jesus that you're totally righteous in his sight. And the only appropriate response to that is thank you. So that's how you seal the covenant, right? Your appropriate response is, heck, that's brilliant. Thank you, okay? You do that in your heart. And you know right now tonight that you've entered into your understanding of relationship with the God in heaven, that, you in, that he invited you into his life, and you tonight said yes. So receive it. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Have a good night. Enjoy uh, pillars and all that's going on in there, and uh, we'll see you on Wednesday night. Bless you. We're done. <laughs>